The Deal with Yield is a podcast series covering the issues that matter most in crop production. Tune in to episodes on iTunes, My Farm Radio, and thedealwithyield.com. Welcome to The Deal with Yield with our host, Kyle Reiner, Winfield United Master Agronomy Advisor. And joining us today, Jason Hansen, Winfield United Agronomist based in North Dakota to discuss management tips for spring wheat. Jason, in addition to selecting the right seed and applying a seed treatment, how big of an impact does in-season management make on wheat yields? In my part of the world, if you can get a cool June, you can do a lot of things because you're dealing with a cool season crop. So the genetics have improved. Wheat has not traditionally moved as fast as, say, corn has in what they're doing. And I realize you have a non, non-GMO product. So some of the advances that you see in corn due to the technology side, wheat hasn't got to that point yet. Although we're working with partners that are looking at hybrid wheat right now. So we're just on the cusp of some things. So... Most of the advancement, in my opinion, has come from management side. So we're definitely using more fungicides. We are looking at different amounts of fertility. Rates have gone up. Seeding rates have gone up. The addition of certain things like probably some ammonium sulfate in some situations. And then just fungicide to me is the biggest one, particularly at flowering. That is the thing that has changed yield the most in wheat. So we do a lot of tissue sampling in corn, right? We've got three main stages. They're on that B5 and then BT and then a little bit after tassel. So can you help listeners understand where and when they should be out taking tissue samples and kind of go through what are you seeing as far as deficiencies or responsiveness on your wheat tissue samples? For me, wheat is a little tougher because from a management standpoint, it has kind of a narrower window. So we try to get people out to do something probably four or five leaf. And predominantly at that stage, you're going to see probably copper is the most efficient nutrient out there in wheat. I think we do a good job on nitrogen for the most part. That goes season long. But uh, what you can do with that is if you're taking one then, say copper shows up, which is very likely that that happens, you have something that you can manage around it and get that on with the first herbicide. Then people try to use it to some degree to try to predict protein, which is almost impossible to do because of it's very dependent on the weather conditions that happen after that. But it kind of gives you an idea of where you're at for late plant health, if that fungicide is going to help you. I've done some tissue sampling, and I was surprised how quickly, once you get past flower drop, how much nitrogen moves out of the leaves and into the head. And we still don't have a good way of, even with green seeker units or spad meters, to try to find a protein content because we're finding that every wheat is a little different. Some put more in, some have more to yield. But it's a tool that you can help manage and look at some things and find out, okay, is, is sulfur something it should be, especially if we follow it after canola in my market, is how big of a jump can we get if we do this copper thing? I am low on nitrogen. Can I still affect or do some things with my split nitrogen. People do more tissue sampling in corn. It's a bigger leaf. It's easier to do. Corn's the rock star, you know. It's very offensive. Wheat is not as many people do it as they should. Kosha's been there for a long time for you guys. Rotational, chemistries. What's the best management practice to get that darn thing out of your fields? 
most of the problem is in soybeans. When you get into wheat, there's other, our grasses can give us problems, but from a broadly standpoint, kosher was still an issue because we're having a lot of people move to some other products. There's a lot of what would be like our weld or wide match products used. People move to more, say, bison or carnivore or husky that contain bromoxynil. And so now that timing has to be a little better. You don't have as much flexibility, but from a resistance standpoint, they're very good products. The one thing wheat can do as a crop is it gives you a rotation of different modes of action on that ground for the year. So I try to encourage people to, hey, let's look at using this tank mix. Let's say we're going to use affinity tank mix plus bison. Or we're going to come in with a pint and a half, a weld, or this field over here, we're going to do something different and use carnivore. And so there's a lot of fluoxapyr used that's very good on kochia, but everybody gets so used to that, it's kind of like spring roundup. You can wait a little longer, it'll take it down. we got to go back to start using some of the chemistries that are just as effective, but you got to be on smaller crops, smaller weeds, and you got to pick your timings a little bit more. you got to do some aggressive scouting. You shouldn't have any kochia in wheat, and we still do. That means we're not doing as good of a job as we should. So I fear in my space down here, Palmer's going to be a really nasty, I don't want to say a rash or a type of thing that's going to be consistent all the time, but it's going to be an issue. What do you see as your biggest weed issue that you're going to have five, ten years down the road that you see coming or they're existing already? If you're in the eastern part of the state, we've got three main broadleaf weeds that we're really fighting. And probably the worst one right now is common ragweed. The second one is water hemp. third one is kochia. My fear is, and looking at some of the maps of Iowa, is the advancement and the spread of Palmer. That's the one I'm really, really scared of. One of the problems in the pigweed products is that some of the weld is not strong on the pigweed species. Bison is not strong. So then you've got to start adding things in. Well, those things you add in are generally group two of chemistry, and that's going to be a weak point. So we're going to have to probably mix things up, pay more attention to rotating Liberty beans into our rotation, coming into wheat, looking at maybe husky herbicide, coming into corn, doing some other things than we've done before. So that crop wheat can be used as a weed management on your farm as part of your system. And then if you're going to raise it, I mean, you might as well raise it to get good yield. So then let's spend the time and effort to do it right. But those three weeds are not going away in my state. Kochia, common ragweed, and water hemp. So as I look at fungicide and soybeans and corn in my space, it's pretty much a, it's not a guarantee, but it's a pretty much a lock-in. You put fungicide on soybeans, it's two to three bushel in every day of the week, right? And corn, you'll have certain varieties that definitely respond more to fungicide. Can you help me understand if there's uh, wheat varieties or is it straight across the board? to where you're getting a very good response from a fungicide application barring kind of environmental factors, but just seeing, is there a synergy by applying it? When we did our fungicide work at Flagleaf, what we found out was it's variety by year response because certain years you're going to have different disease pressures. I thought we'd see more stripe rust pressure that's showing up, and it came in early, but it never materialized. So when we run our piano graphs on our data sets that we have, we find out that certain varieties have a low response, and they are traditionally more, it's very much like soybeans are very defensive. 
They're a 45 to 50 bushel type yield that's they're consistently in there. Your varieties that are in the 75 plus bushel, they definitely have more of an affinity to using a fungicide. Their response will come back. So a lot of people will put out, say, like our topaz, which is like a propiconazole. They'll go in with the herbicide early, and that's just a general kind of a deal. Most of the time, you're probably in that three, four bushel that you're protecting. And then people come in and use something like an Onset or a Prasara or a Karumba at flowering. And this year, it was probably close to 10 bushel that you got because of the, the weather conditions, where the last year, it wasn't, that was probably half of that. We're trying to get guys to look at protecting in between that time because the propiconazole only lasts so long. Is getting in and, and keeping that flag leaf, which is about 75 to 80% of your total photosynthetic power that you're harnessing from the sun, that leaf totally green. And I think last year our average was six bushel. So for an extra fungicide pass at a time, is six bushel worth it? And your more aggressive producers are looking at doing it. It's if you were to do that on winter wheat in my area, you just have to do it if you want to raise the bushels, and it pays. So if we look at how we manage wheat in North Dakota or Minnesota or in the upper Midwest versus how they raise it overseas and the amount of passes they make and amount of applications of fungicide and other things over there, and they're raising wheat in a 100 to 150 bushel pretty consecutive every year, what do we have to do to change the practices or the management levels. If it was a perfect world, wheat was not $3 or $4, and it was up in that $6 range. What would your opinion be or recommendation be for growers to start to do or to change to get bushels like they have overseas? Yeah, it's an interesting question because a lot of individuals or even companies are bringing that over here. And some of it has to do with climate and moisture. The second thing that's a disadvantage is, is that we're much bigger farms so my experience is is that logistics wins out every day over agronomics so when you're a smaller acreage producer in say the uk you are probably going to be a multiple pgr pass you are going to for sure do a split nitrogen they raise a lot of winter winter barley winter wheat over there and so the main reason they do that is for not only yield but to manage lodging because of their environment. But if you take some of those principles over here, we have to look at more PGRs, even if it's, say, a send-on wheat early to establish a bigger root system, bigger plant. Maybe it's palisade later on to shrink your plant down so that you can go out and be more aggressive with your post-applied nitrogen. And that's probably going to come in the form of using streamer bars in 28%, and then just incorporate that other fungicide pass. And I know most people don't want to hear it, but yeah, if we have a year where you got bad cereal aphids, you're going to have to treat. So the higher the management, the trouble with that, Kyle, is that I've not had to do that before. In some years, I fertilize for 60 bushel and I get 90. So some people like to roll the dice and see if it happens again, but if we want to be more consistent, we're going to have to probably be more intense in what we're doing. Genetics are better. The management can get better and you just reduce your chances of some of these things going away. But if you give me a cool June, I can make it happen. <laughs> well, we'll put that in plan for 2017, right? I know you can do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Jason Hansen, Winfield Agronomist, and Kyle Weiner, Winfield Master Agronomy Advisor. For additional episodes of The Deal with Yield, visit iTunes, My Farm Radio, and thedealwithyield.com. 